Hello everybody and welcome back to Let's Talk Music, the podcast where we break down iconic albums and let you know what we think. I'm Ethan, I'm joined by my father Paul, and this week's album is Ride the Lightning, so Metallica this week. Um, if you do have any future suggestions for any episodes, feel free to give us an email. That one is Let's Talk Music Podcast at gmail.com. So, right. Ride the Lightning. Ride the Lightning. Okay, so Ethan, we have um, covered your favourite album which was the Black Parade, obviously. And now we're covering the first album you bought. Blimey. Yes, yes we are. I can't wait to do the first album I ever bought. That was Matchbox's self-titled debut album from 1979. Well, Not there you old. go. <laughs> that's, that's how old Anyhow, the matter at hand, Ride the Lightning. Now, this preceded the uh, Fleming Rasmussen at Sweet Silent Studios. Okay. Now, uh, it was released in July of 1984. It's the second studio album from Metallica. Um, the artwork concept shows an electric chair, which is being hit by lightning, flowing from the band's logo. The title was inspired from a passage in the Stephen King novel, The Stand. Did you know I, that? I did know that, yeah. yeah. Right, the album showed the band's musical growth, partly due to uh, the arrival of bassist Cliff Burton introducing the basics of music theory into his songwriting. The album has a bit of a crossover feel due to it is the due to it featuring the, the last material uh, from the original founder member Dave Mustaine and the first from his replacement Kirk Hammett. Dave Mustaine, as we all know, went on to form Megadeth. Now Ride the Lightning received positive response from music critics and its early success showed the band appear yeah, his, his early success showed the band appear at their first Monsters of Rock Festival. Many publications have this album on their um, their best album playlist, saying that it had a lasting uh, input in the metal genre. Yeah, so the album has eight tracks and clocks in at a whopping 47 minutes, which um, actually makes it the shortest album we've covered so far. At the time of the album, the band's lineup was actually James Hetfield, Kirk Hammett, Cliff Burton, Lars Ulrich, and of course Dave Mustaine, as mentioned previously. With that being said, we move on to our first song. Bearing in mind, before we go on to the first song, that uh, although Dave Mustaine is credited on the album, um, he's only credited for about half of the album, because the first half of the album he recorded, then he left, Kirk Hammett came in and recorded the second half of the album. Um, and you'll understand if you actually buy this album or download this listen to the album you will spot the difference quite yeah it's quite obvious to spot but there yeah. is a big difference definitely um so our first track with that being said is fight fire with fire uh, so the first track on this album is of course fight fire with fire uh, the song has like a methodical acoustic opening before turning into a fresh masterpiece um, Hetfield's demanded vocals draw you in. It's almost like listening to a band's war chant, um, which, again, the shouting brings you on board straight away as you're demanded to fight fire with fire. Uh, the song is said to be about the world's impending apocalypse caused by nuclear warfare and bloodshed. And um, in the end of the audio, you do actually hear the, the explosion go off. What are your your thoughts on this opening track? Because we often we often argue about what what makes a great opening track. <laughs> okay, fight fire with fire. Right, 
this is a major key acoustic introduction. It displays their evolution in songwriting. It's the fastest Metallica song in terms of picking speed. It's driven mainly by nimbly tremolo pushed riffs. Um, the extended cell at the end dissolves into this vast nuclear explosion sound effect uh, and explosive uh, ride, ride, ride of guitars and drum rhythms which dress you um, or draws you in and, and vocally it's well delivered. Um, there are some bands of this ilk that, that tend to leave the vocal uh, not Metallica, they get the vocal out there so you can hear it. For me, this is a good, good opening track. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. As we'll learn later on in the episode, we have some differing opinions on this album, I feel. Um, but for an opening track, it, it's up there, one of the best um, that we've covered so far. Of course, there's always going to be one people who argue is better. This um, is going to get really interesting. Remember, when we, the introduction, this was the first metal album Ethan ever bought. Yeah. This was his big one. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's the one that I wouldn't say this one got me into Metallica though, because uh, when I bought my first album, I bought two from an album shop in in Exeter, um, and the the two albums I bought was Ride the Lightning and Justice for All, and and Justice for All for me is probably the album that got me into liking Metallica. Okay. And um, if you listen to the two side by side, you can see the difference in the yeah. evolution of the band. I, I, and Justice for All is not on this episode, so let's carry on. Uh, track two. <laughs> Is of course Ride the Lightning. Yep, so the titular track of this album is the second overall. Uh, the track is all about spending your last moments in an electric chair, and the title again is, co- is, is of course taken from the line in the Stephen King novel The Sand, uh, which was actually uh, picked out by Kirk Hammett. Yeah. Uh, the lyrics almost feel like the character in the song is coming to terms with how he's going to die and, and how graphic this death is going to be. Yeah. For me, the song sounds very Maiden or Sabbath-esque at times. Um, however, it still sounds like an original Metallica piece. Um, I think it's got that underlying sound that all of the songs from that genre sort of have. Um, at one at one point, I can't I can't remember the point, but I I was listening to it and I thought that sounds like it could be an Ozzy Osbourne song. Um, so so yeah, what were your thoughts on Ride the Lightning? Right, Ride the Lightning, the title track. Sound is foreboding, it's forbidding mood, um, which suits the rather morbid lyrics that Hetfield has recorded. Uh, Hetfield recorded the guitar parts relatively fast and then overlaid them. Um, but he overlaid the t- laid them in takes, which were played live instead of overdubbing. So this track shows much of the Metallica that we all see later in their careers, um, for instance, on, the, on, on their self-titled Black Album. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Track three. Track three. For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yeah, so in my <laughs> mind, probably the most commercially successful song from the album, um, which I find quite funny considering there was literally a song they were asked to write for radio. Cool. Um, for Whom the Bell Tolls is Metallica's take on the Ernest Hemingway novel of the same name. Uh, the song and novel is all about the sort of reproach of modern warfare and the combatants' impending demise during the Spanish Civil War. Uh, Metallica really do love a war song, don't they? Uh, yes. It's that a, is, a key part, theme. That, yeah, that is, that is a key theme with this band. They do love a good war yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the song has a very long intro uh, where we actually hear the aforementioned bell tolling. Um, yeah. 
before the thrash metal riff then then picks up and Hetfield's gut wrenching lyrics, they make the tension built up in that intro worth it. It's just worth listening to the intro just to hear that explosion afterwards in my mind. Well, for for me, for whom the bell tolls now, this begins, as we've said, with a tolling bell and it's followed by a marching riff and high register bass melody. Now, the lyrics are inspired by the Ernest Hemingway novel, as Ethan has already said. Um, this explodes into the, the, the horror and the dishonour um, of war. This track is delivered in a typical heavy metal fashion. It, it, it's updating an old story to a new medium, and I just love it. Yeah. Yeah, it is very good. Um, one of Ethan's fun facts for this episode uh, if you actually listen to the isolated vocal recording, uh, at the first chorus, the first for whom the bells tolls, you hear uh, somebody in the band who is believed to be Cliff shout fuck. See, this is where Ethan and I, are, we, have, we have a big difference. He will break this down. He will listen to isolated recordings of, 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 of the vocal section uh, and the guitars even, whereas I will just listen to the track in its entirety and go, yeah, I love that, or I know it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. There's the Track four. There's the fun fact. <laughs> Moving on. Um, Fade to Black. Yeah, Fade to Black. This track is a similar structure to Lin- Linen Skinner's Freebird, you know, and, and I'm surprised. It's use of um, acoustic guitars, clean vocals, uh, you know, and alienated, this alienated some of their fan base. You know, at the time, it, it was, you know, deemed as a power ballad with lyrics about suicide. Okay. Hetfield wrote this song after the band's equipment was stolen in Boston, um, and, and he felt powerless about it. He didn't know what to do. I actually like it. You know, to me, almost sadly, I like it. Maybe it's just that it's my age. I like these slightly more melodramatic songs. And maybe it's the way she walks, as One Direction would have said. Who the fuck are One Direction? <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. Um, yeah, so the song is, is very slow for a Metallica song, um, but it's very heavy on its subject matter, which throughout this album I don't feel like we really see. Um, I felt like a lot of the songs sort of just mould into this one constant headbanging riff, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but when the you can sort of feel the substance start to leave, and I think because it, this song is so heavy in its subject matter, and this subject matter is so important to the band at the time as well, um, like like we said, um, so mainly the depressive lyrics were inspired by James's feeling about his first ever martial amp, um, which was stolen when the band's equipment was stolen. But it was his, the fact that his mother, who who was passing away, helped him achieve that goal by buying that amp. Um, so it is very heavy, heavy on its uh, subject matter, and I like the fact that you have this tinkling acoustic riff all the way throughout the song, and the song doesn't really have a chorus. To me, the chorus is that heavy electric guitar sound that comes in, the big bam, 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 bam. That's the chorus. We hear that multiple times, not only because it's a guitar riff and that happens, but it almost feels like that's the chorus for the song. Um... Yeah, you feel sorry for the for the person that you're you're hearing about the the man who is at the end of his his life and he doesn't know what to do anymore, um, and he ultimately you listen to his journey through this pain and and you sort of hear how it ends for him and and it's not the ideal scenario for everyone, 
Um, but yeah, you, you hear the journey come across. Um, so with that heavy topic said, of course, we will leave um, a link to the suicide prevention hotline. Um, if that does invoke any of those emotions in you, uh, contact them. There, there will always be someone will always be there to help you. Yeah. And uh, with that, we move on. Yeah, track number five. Track number five is trapped under ice. Now, this is about a person who wakes from a cryogenic state, realizing that there's nowhere to go, no one to rescue them. Um, this person therefore becomes helpless. Um, they're helplessly uh, awaiting their impending doom. Now, the song is fast-paced. It's got a galloping riff, um, much like the opening track of this album. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we went from like this very deep note into, into this. <laughs> um, yeah, so the idea of somebody being sort of unable to move but still having a perfectly functioning mind is something that Metallica used quite a lot. Um, most notably, of course, the one, the one yeah. from my favourite Metallica album, and Justice for All. Um, future episode coming up. The, yeah, but the, Trapped Under Ice, I mean, for, for me, this is a precursor to the one, you know. Much in, um, to, just to throw a drop out in here, this is much like 22 Acacia Avenue and Charlotte the Harlot. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's another fast thrash metal song. Uh, with the intro guitar solo and recognisable riffs, it's something that you see throughout this entire album. Uh, personally, I think if it wasn't for Fade to Black, though, I probably would have been bored of this album by now. Um, early Metallica was, was really good at this thrash style that, that was mainly influenced by Dave Mustaine. If you listen to any sort of Megadeth album, that'll tell you exactly how. Um but at the time they were really unable to pull anything else off um, and it's not until I feel the later albums that they, they really become their own band after Dave Mustaine we stop hearing these really long thrashy constant songs and we start hearing lyrical substance and it's almost like the swapping songwriting between Mustaine and Burton made the band better yeah I, I must agree now um I've got a chance of probably being shot in my heavy metal foot here, but I will say this. Megadeth um, and the songs they do and the albums they record are absolutely brilliant. I love a bit of Megadeth. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Holy Wars, um, uh, you know, stuff from that sort of era. However, Dave Mustaine's early Metallica stuff was poo, to put it politely. Yeah, yeah. You know, Metallica were better without Dave Mustaine, but Megadeth wouldn't have been Megadeth without Dave Mustaine. So no. No shots fired. Dave Mustaine, love you. You're a god in your own right. Yeah, and, and I think, like, if you were to compare different Metallica albums as well, uh, pre and post Dave Mustaine and Cliff Burton joining, you really get that difference. And like when you, you put even individual songs up from this album against songs from uh, maybe the Black Album or And Justice for All even or, or these other albums that they've done. St. Elsewhere. St. Anger. That's the one that everyone <laughs> hates. See, I don't. <laughs> um, but you, you put songs on this album up to that and it's sort of like you can tell the difference and you can tell that 
okay, not necessarily we've got someone who's better musically, um, but you've got someone with a better musical knowledge now. And you've got someone who has a, a real understanding of lyricism and even the basics of music, That and that's what it's, makes it so good. It's, it's two people with a different feel for yeah. what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, that's why we have so many genres of music, is because music is subjective and, and yeah, yeah, music yeah. is what people enjoy. So. People say genres of music now. I mean, everybody knows I'm a bit of a metalhead and I love, I love my heavy metal music, but actually... In that caliber alone, there is about 15, 20 yeah. different genres. Yeah. So don't, you know, don't pigeonhole anybody because that is the worst thing you could ever do. Yeah, 100%. This then takes us on to track number six. Yeah. Um, so this song went largely unnoticed at the time, and, and that is because it is James Hetfield's single most hated Metallica song. Um, Shit. The record company forced them to write something more radio-friendly, as I mentioned earlier. Um, with the commercial successor for whom the bell tolls, that probably wasn't the smartest idea. Um, the band actually refused to play it live yeah. um, up until 2012's edition of the Orion Music Festival. Um, and they only played it live there because they played the whole album for their set. Um the song has lyrical themes of personal freedom, inner strength, and resiliency. Um, yeah, it it fits in, but that's the problem. It just sounds like another song from this album. Yeah, no. Track six is it's called Escape. It, as you said, it's originally it was originally titled The Hammer, and and it, it was always intended as a single due to the slightly lighter riffs and 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 its more conventional structure. However. <laughs> The counterpoint bass melody and chugging guitars that evolves, you know, in, into a structured riff was then sort of mellowed down for radio play. Um, yeah. Escape, as Ethan has already said, is James Hetfield's most disliked song. He hates it. Yeah. Um, it's due to the fact that it was being recorded purely for the record company's, um, you know, they, they were forcing the band to produce a, a more radio-friendly single that they could get out to sell records. Um, you know, sorry, James. I would have to say that, you know, it was produced as a more radio-friendly friend, single, but I'm sorry, James, as much as you hate it, I actually kind of like it. Boo. <laughs> I think this is the, the sort of Metallica song you play for your mum to convince her they're not that bad. Yeah, this is that's what this is. This is mum friendly Metallica here. Mum Metallica. This is like every Nickelback single since um, there to remind uh, since. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, but then they got good and they did really cringy rock songs as well because they did like um, no Nickelback have only ever recorded one good fucking song. No, because they they did um, standing on the edge of a revolution. That was a later one. The, the best Nickelback song ever is Rockstar, but that's for a different time. No, it's not. That's yes, it shit. <laughs> Anyway, um, track seven. Like, well, I'm not finished. <laughs> <laughs> like most songs before it on this album, track six is more fast-paced guitar with shouted vocals. Nothing much new, really. Takes us on to the lovely track seven, the penultimate track yeah, already. The penultimate track, yeah. It's called Creeping Death. Now, that is enough said, yeah, shall we? Sounds yeah. radio-friendly. Yeah. Now, this is all about the plague of the death of the firstborn um, read Exodus, uh, book 12, chapter 29. Um, 
The lyrics deal with the ten plagues visited on ancient Egypt. Four of them are um, uh, monumental throughout the song. Now, the chant, um, Die by My Hand, was taken from a song written by Hammett. Um, this was written for his original band, that uh, coincidentally called Exodus. Yep. The whole thing comes from the band Exodus. Um, yeah, it's one of those. It, it's like... Um, it's a cover, but it's not a cover, but it is a cover. Yeah, it's it's its own song, but they they basically sampled a riff that that Kirk's already written. Um, which, to be fair, as I was um, I looked on Genius uh, and I was going through sort of the songs, and a lot of the interviews with him were were basically things saying like, um, these riffs are things that we played during the Kill 'Em All days, mm. and we just didn't have a home for it yet. Yeah. The intro to the first track on this album is exactly the same. Yeah. Um, every time Cliff had an acoustic guitar, he played that exact, that exact song. And he's like, we were, we were so sick of hearing it that we put it on this album. And it fitted, to be fair. Um, so the title of this song is actually a comment made by Cliff Burton whilst watching the Ten Commandments film. Um, we don't have the context of that comment, but I imagine it was probably followed up with a few laughs. Well, the Commandments film was Charlton Heston in his heyday. <laughs> um, I wouldn't know who that is because I'm young. Yeah. We actually got to mention somebody on the podcast that's fucking older than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you older than Ernest Hemingway? Uh, probably not. Yeah, so you're probably, you're two for two at the minute then. I'm two for two. Okay. Get on. Um, it's more of the same Metallica, to be fair. Um, and at this point, I was sort of thinking, thankfully, there's only one more left. Uh, I wasn't really a huge fan of this song or See, th- this album in general, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's got its moments, but... What a way to diss the first album you ever bought, Ethan. Oh, no. Yeah. Right. Okay, let's move on. Track number eight, The Call of Cthulhu. Now, The Call of Cthulhu, this is inspired by H.B. Lovecraft's book, The Shadow of uh, Innersmouth. Now, this is introduced to the band by Cliff Burton. Um, the track begins with a D minor chord uh, chord progression um, into the intro. Dave Mustaine plays on this. Now, he would later reuse this for the Megadeth track, Hangar 18. Now, what a classic track that became. Now, this is followed by a two-minute bar solo over a rhythmic pattern conductor. Um, Michael Kamen would later rearrange this piece of music for the SLM project and go on to win a Grammy Award for the Best Rock Instrumental. That being said, although there are no real bad tracks on the album, we have to put into perspective that this is a band that are evolving. So some of the tracks are slightly stranger than others or stronger than others. Um, I'd highly recommend you listen to this purely because of the fact that you can hear two bands on one album. You can hear the Dave Mustaine influence, the, the you know what was to become Megadeth, but you can also hear the Kurt Hammett, uh, James Hetfield, Clive Burton, writing influences of what was to become the great Megadeth that we... Uh, Metallica. <laughs> I have just shot my own ass. The great Metallica that we all know and love. You know, the Black Album. That yeah. sort of stuff. You, yeah. you can 
hear the two on this one particular album. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to this song already and you don't know what we're talking about in terms of this song, um, the one bit of advice I could give to you to listen to it is don't expect a lyrical masterpiece, um, mainly because there aren't any lyrics. Um, it's, yeah, it's Metallica's musical homage to H.P. Lovecraft's supernatural horror classic Call of Cthulhu. Um, the, it does actually have an ultimate spelling. Um, Cthulhu is T, uh, C-T-H-U-L-L-U. Yeah. Um, on this album, it is K-T-U-L-U. Um, this is actually taken from another author, August Derler, um, who was one of the many authors to borrow from H.P. Lovecraft's sort of mythology. So that's probably two more that are older than you. So four, four for four. Four for four. Um, <laughs> This eight-minute piece is not bad at all. Uh, you can hear and feel the tensions of the story, um, if, you, if you're if you aware of what the story is, that is. Um, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Eight-minute piece, absolutely brilliant. Uh, for me, it's probably about three or four minutes too long, though. Yeah. Um, but I think that was inevitable with the subject matter, and yeah. it's easy to express lyrics with words, like express the, the story with the words. That's why people sing. Okay, Let, let's let's break this this down, Ethan. Right now, we got into the point. Now we'd like to say that we're, you know, we're talking about iconic albums. Um, is Ride the Lightning an iconic album? No, not at all. This is an album where a band are transitioning from one set of musicians to another. This is a transition album. This is not their iconic album. Their iconic album, Metallica's iconic album, is going to come much later in their career. Yeah. This is uh, Fleetwood Mac before Buckingham and Knicks. Yeah. It's, you know, his Panic at the Disco while Ryan Ross was there. They they weren't the band. Iron Maiden before Bruce Dickinson. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's not the band that that you go, oh, that's Metallica. What this is, is this is someone's musical journey. Um, for me overall, the album's nothing to really write home about. Like I said earlier, it's got its high points, it's got its really low points. Uh, for me personally, um, I think it becomes too repetitive. Um, I think Mustaine's influence is very clear, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing either. I just find it difficult to, to listen to in one after a while, which is what I, I do when we record these. I listen to the album in one sitting. I write down everything I feel. I look for some facts on, on Tinternet. Yeah. Okay. Because this is where it's going to get interesting. Because whatever we've said about this album, we are going to rate it. And we are going to tell you the worst on the best. Yes. Ones. Okay. So, okay, here we go. Worst track on the album. Oh, you got me this time. Because usually we go best, worst. Is it iconic? No, we always go worst first. Okay. We're doing worst first this time. I've written it down the other way. Um... Worst song for me, Trapped Under Ice. I just, I don't have anything to add to that. I just didn't like it. It's the worst song on the album. That's, okay. that's that. Worst track for me, sorry, it's Call of Cthulhu. Uh, only because the, the 8 minutes, 12 seconds in length, that's, you know, about 4 minutes, 12 seconds too long. <laughs> we have similar <laughs> feelings. I just, I don't know. There was something about Trapped Under Ice that bugged me. Okay. Best track? Uh, best song for me, Fade to Black. Um, I like how the chorus, the chorus is the guitar, and um, 
the vocals sound more controlled. A lot of the vocals on this album is shout, 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 which was the style for them then. Uh, but this one, it feels controlled. You, you feel the story and the emotion in it. It's hard to feel someone's emotion when they're just shouting at you. Okay. So, so fade, fade to Black. That's your best track. Honourable mention for Whom the Bell Tolls. <laughs> best track on the album for me is For Whom the Bell Tolls. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> got to be. I just, I, I love it. I just, it's one of those tracks. It, it's a metal icon um, and it, it always will be. Now, this is where things are going to get interesting. Bearing in mind, we said at the start of the recording, this was Ethan's first rock album. <laughs> now, when Ethan bought this, I used to say to him, then bearing in mind he was an eight-year-old kid, turn that trash off, it's too loud, blah, 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 as parents do. <laughs> However, I have sat down and I have listened to this album from scratch in one, and I have said to myself, okay, this is a band transitioning. What do I think of the album as a whole? And for me, I would give it an 8 out of 10 because there isn't a bad track on there. <laughs> I, there's a couple of things I, I agree and disagree with there. I do think the album's iconic, but I think the album's iconic in the wider scheme of the journey of Metallica. I think that... The only reason this album's iconic is because the music press pushed it. But I think that... If there wasn't this album, uh, because when this came out, this album wasn't exactly heralded as phenomenal. But I think without this album, you don't get the Metallica we get to see later on. And I think that, again, a big part of that is uh, Burton and the Mustaine thing. But I think without this album, Metallica aren't the same Metallica. I think that we don't get to see the the musical journey that we see these guys go on throughout those sort of days. And um, I think that's what makes this album iconic. That being said, uh, I'm a little bit harsher than you. Um, <laughs> I didn't think it was fantastic. I loved it when I was like eight and I bought it for the first time. Um, for me, five out of ten. Oh, I just... I. Okay. I struggled. But let us know what, how, what you thought uh, of the uh, album. That's okay. we we got to work out the, the split here between five and eight. So five. So it's about six, six and a half. Six and a half. Yeah. So 6.5 out of 10. That actually makes Ride the Lightning, Lightning the second most iconic album we've ever covered. There we go. So our, our iconic album list at the moment covers this. My Chemical Romance, The Black Parade, 7 out of 10. Ride the Lightning, Metallica, 6.5 out of 10. Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare, Nightmare at 5.5. And, and sadly, Fleetwood Mac with Rumours at 4 out of 10. You're pushing <laughs> up the rear, girls. That's all right. <laughs> I'm sure we're... I mean, I've, I've made some adjustments to the wheel um, to make sure that the there was a bias. There was a bias originally between old and new. Um, I've... Pan that out a little bit so so that we've got everyone's got a fair uh, shout. Excuse again. me, excuse me. Is Madonna still on the wheel? Madonna is not on the wheel because oh that, no, because that is trash. That's why Madonna's not on the wheel. Um, so as always, we we are always running out of suggestions, and we always appreciate more. If you do have any, please do email them across again. That's let's talk music podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. That will be linked below with the album Spotify link. And, um, so, uh, yeah. Just a quick, quick one there. Then you were saying 
Let's vote Madonna at Let's Talk Music.com. If I get one email from one of the people listening that says, please cover Like a Virgin by Madonna or whatever, that will be the series finale this season. Excellent. There I'm sending the email now. And next next week we'll be halfway through our first season, so it'll be 10 episodes a season. This will be episode five next week. Um, so if we get one email from Madonna, then um, that will be covered in the season finale. Excellent. Uh, with that being said... Spin the wheel. Next week's album is... Drumroll. Don't bang anything. Highway to Hell, ACDC. Oh, Classic. my God. Classic. I cannot wait to hear the same riff over and over and over again <laughs> for the second week in a row. <laughs> Do you know what we haven't done? What? We haven't done a pre-record uh, shoot. That's all right. We'll do one afterwards. Okay. They so the, pre- the pre-record shoot this week will be an after-record shoot. There yeah, you. there we go. Hey, guys. This is Let's Talk Music uh, podcast. I, I'm Paul. I'm the old man. This is Ethan. It's his job. Cheers. Yeah, thank you. We'll see you next week. Peace out. <laughs>